whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Welcome back to another episode of the Women in Gridiron Show. I am Stacey Spear, and tonight is a special glitter-filled, rainbow-themed Pride episode to celebrate the wider LGBTIQ community. And tonight, I'm joined by my amazing panel. I don't have Christy tonight, but I do have Nat and I do have Beck. And our special guest tonight is an out and proud transgender player, one of my Lions teammates, Kim Tempest. Welcome to the show. Hey. So tonight's episode, guys, I'm, I'm hoping we'll provide a little bit of insight into what it means to be part of the LGBTIQ community in sport with, you know, events such as Mardi Gras coming up. It's gay Christmas for us, but I know especially for myself, the road in sport as a gay woman has not been smooth sailing. So our intro question tonight to kick things off, I want to know what pride means to you. And I know it's a super broad question, but it's important for our community to know that we have allies in our sport. So Kim, kick us off. What does pride mean for you? Um, I would have to say that it's being able to not care about what other people think because that's always been a big thing for me. Uh, I'm the way that I stick out in crowds. And when I started transitioning, it was I had to decide that I did not care what anyone else thought whenever I left the house. And that's the biggest sort of thing that I would say it means for me. Yeah. And that, you know, you and your partner, T, you guys have been together for as long as I've known you. And the fact that you both had custom Outback jerseys made with I'm her lineman and I'm her running back was just adorable AF. But, I mean, what what does pride mean for you guys? Yeah, I love that. I love that you remember that too, Stace. But um, uh, for me, pride is all about um, being able to bring your authentic whole self being able to show compassion, equality, and support for others. And it doesn't matter what setting that is, inside or outside of sports. So that's what it means for me. Yeah, Beck, and obviously as the token straight person on the panel tonight, um, at Pride for you, what does it mean to be an ally for you? That I am the token straight. But I'm so glad to be on this podcast doing this with you guys tonight because it's super important to talk about these kind of topics. Because prior to playing football, I'd never really been um, a part of the LGBTIQ plus community, like coming and meeting all you guys through football has been great for me. And it's pride, you know, is like people being able to be themselves, people being able to come and feel comfortable to be who they are and what they are in whatever setting, wherever they are, and be accepted by the people that they love and care about as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, pride is a time of year for me where I get to celebrate being a family with my partner, my daughter, and my soon-to-be-coming little boy who's due in May. Um, you know, I've opened up before about my struggles growing up in a country town, being the only gay in the village. And honestly, for us spending fair day in Sydney, surrounded by our community, having our lion stall in the sports arena and participation in the gay tug of war is a staple in our household. So for me, pride is a celebratory rise of our community to pay respect to those who have come before us and to give us the ability to live the life that we choose and be able to host a podcast about it is actually really, really awesome. So let's get straight into it uh, and dive into our first segment, which is All Ball with Kim. Every franchise has had tons of great players and legendary personalities, but who stands out above the rest? It's what we dream to do. It's not just a man's game anymore. Yellow, Sammy, go! 
doesn't matter how you separate us, we're still one big team, and that's for women's football. It is in our DNA, spiraling through double helixes. It courses through our veins. Through this blood, we are connected. Football is our family. All right, that's it. That's our all ball segment. And I think it's totally fitting with the theme of pride is that anyone can ball in our sport. Kim, having played football for a good while now, you've played pre-transition for a men's team and now also to the women's league. I guess where I wanted to start was what was it like for you to come out and transition in that team environment? Um, Just as a point of contention there, I was in that rookie season when I was playing on the men's team, I was transitioning. Like I went to the first training session and sort of came out to the club president, the head coach of the men's team and asked if that was going to be a problem. And I'd been on HRT for a month at that point. And through that entire season, HRT was taking away my muscle mass every week. And so when I was starting, I was maybe as strong or on the stronger end of the spectrum among the men's players. And then by the end of the season, that muscle mass was gone. And that was a big obstacle when I was sort of in between on HRT. And Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know HRT, hormone replacement therapy, right? Uh, so a set of testosterone blockers that uh, takes my testosterone completely out of my blood system and then some uh, estrogen as well to feminize my system as well. And how, how were you accepted in the club? Were you supported by the head coach and the president while you were there transitioning and they were aware of what was going on? Uh, I was hugely, actually. There was that first season also happened at the same time as the plebiscite. And I got into a bit of an argument on Facebook with someone who had a bit of a sponsorship deal with the club. And we, we argued a bit and then they made it very personal and there was some transphobic stuff that got said. I sort of screenshotted that, shared that with the club president, and they basically asked me if I was comfortable with them still sponsoring the club, and they were fully willing to terminate that sponsorship contract if I wasn't comfortable. In the end, I decided to just let it slide, but to know that they were 100% behind me like that was a very big deal, especially when I wasn't. I wasn't even at that stage all the way out to all of the men's players' teammates. So, And did you did you always love football? Like, was it always something that you wanted to do or was there a specific reason why you felt drawn to football? Uh, I got into football in about 2014, watching the AFC and NFC Championship games, so the year that Seattle won the Super Bowl. Still a Seahawks fan. And I... When I was watching it, I had no idea what was happening on the field, but those plays that were being made were incredible. And then I just watched as much football as I could until I understood it. And the understanding came with just gradually getting following the players that I recognized and whenever anyone did something really cool on a football field. And then in 2017, I moved to Sydney to mainly to transition, but I was aware that there was an amateur league. And as soon as soon as I'd moved to Sydney, where's the closest team? And when does the season start? And sign me up. So it was once I sort of got football, I was fully in love with football and going to play as soon as I got to somewhere that there was a league. Kim, I'm keen I'm keen to understand, was there like a really defining point where you went, 
I can't play, you know, you spoke about your muscle mass um, during that season. Was there a really defining point that you kind of went, I need to transition and play for the women's team? Um, and then, you know, also, was there any medical, um, you know, guidelines that you had to meet or anything like that? Um, that was always the plan to go on to the women's team eventually. The GNSW, who administers the league, when I had come all the way out to everyone that I was trans, they did not have a policy because they'd never had a trans player before. So over in the off season, I basically did a bunch of research to what are the policies that some other sports governing bodies do. So I went to, there's some fight sports that have, and a lot of honestly the worst possible policy of if you've had surgery and that makes no sense to me because I have never made a play on a football field using my genitals. And that's so, that's so true. And, and like, I remember, you know, Kim, I remember talking to you about this whole situation because, you know, at the time I was also doing a whole heap of research for one of my degrees. And the more I got into it, the more I realized that the policies didn't exist because the conversation still weren't happening. You know, there was still so much uh, lack of education around what it meant to be a transgender player. Um, and so, like, being able to work on those policies that we've put in place, like, yeah, you know, we'll discuss a little bit more about, you know, the barriers that still exist. But to be to have a policy in the first place is is such a good thing. And to have it be so open from a GA perspective where, you know, as a sport we, you know, say that you can play in whatever gender you identify and not have to go down that surgery route because that's not always an option for everybody. And it's not always something that, transgender people want to want to do essentially right yeah so to my knowledge at the time gnsw didn't have a policy on trans athletes so i went the uh, the best policy i could find was the iocs at the time which required to be on hrt for at least 12 months and to have your testosterone levels in your blood under i think it was under 10 animals per um per liter i think once I sort of got that policy and I could show I've my own blood results, I'd be woman enough to compete in the Olympics. So amateur gridiron should be just fine. And then from my second year of playing gridiron onwards, I've been on women's teams. And it's, I think, Matt, you asked earlier about a point where I knew that I couldn't play on the men's team. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a really defining moment for you. That was my first game of my second season, so the first time I was playing with the women's team, and I looked over at the men's players and realised how big they actually were and how much bigger they were now compared to me after being on HRT for a while and losing all that muscle mass and seeing the guys that I used to play against just 12 months ago in their pads and going, I had a death wish. So you kind of have the feelings that, you know, we have as, you know, as a fellow O-lineman where you see, you know, big girls on the line, you, you're feeling that too. Is that kind of what you're saying? Um, <laughs> when I see one of the big girls on the other side of the line, because I play O-line, I'm just, sign me up, It'd, you know, to give me the challenge. I, I'm all for it. But, yeah, when I saw how, like, the difference, just the difference of the men versus the women's players in general, like, Matching up against the smallest guy on the O line, you know, like this is this is not good for my health. Whereas, yeah, so you started like comparing yourself as a as a girl, as a woman, to the men, like we do when yeah. we play. Like, yeah, you were one of us. 
yeah, that was essentially the tipping point of there's no going back. And then so you were with the Phoenix for, was it one or two years? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think it was one year. I think. Yeah. And yeah, then because obviously- the, 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 my first year with the Lions was my third year of football. So, yeah, it had yeah. to only be one year. Yeah, definitely. And, guys, I kind of, when we're talking about the transgender discussion, like the main issue that I have discussions about within our community as my role as the only woman and the only gay woman uh, for Gridan Australia, which is the issue of competitive advantage, right? That that that's this that's that's where we need to sort of understand that and unpack that a little bit because transgender players, um, you know, when you talk about competitive advantage, there's a whole heap that needs to be discussed. I mean, we just did an episode where we had Grace and Amy who have been playing alongside men say that the competitive advantage is real, but for women, it's the differences in how we play a game and bring that advantage down to a level where we can also compete. And I know having done a ton of research in this space, uh, you know, and helping to write these policies, that there is no issue with transgender players until there is a competitive advantage. But Kim, you know, I've played alongside you for, you know, a couple of years now, and you've protected my skinny butt from getting pummeled um, many a time, being on my O-line. But for me, I've also seen you struggle against some of those, you know, the big Islander girls that we get playing in our league. You know, for me, I couldn't say that there was any competitive advantage because I did see you get beat. And that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make here is that, yeah, Kim, you're, you know, over six foot with an arm length like nobody's business, left tackle, you do a great job. But does the fact that you're transgender make you tenfold better than the 120 kilo Islander defensive line woman who played in the forwards at rugby just because you were once male with more testosterone? I don't think that that's a fair assumption to make. So, when we talk about policy, that's kind of where I come from. But, you know, I guess if you're looking at kind of different position requirements, like if we're talking about the issues that could potentially arise with having more transgender players in the league, like if you were to have a transgender running back, like, you know, could that be a competitive advantage? But we're never going to know because there's no research being done, right? Mm -hmm. There's very, very little research. Like, all that I could find when I went and Googled it was a couple of things on uh, trans weightlifters and a couple of things on trans runners and their times and their weights that they were able to lift after they'd been on HRT for a while came right back down to regular levels that you'd expect for women athletes. And that's very simple. Like it's just running and it's just lifting a heavy thing. Like there's no... Football, for example, is a lot more complicated because you have exploding off a line, holding on to someone in, without actually committing a holding penalty and all these little individual things that go into playing line or playing running back that aren't just how fast can you run, how much weight can you lift. And that's, we don't even know exactly what are the normal levels that women and men of the cis variety can compete at. So it's very difficult to compare that. And then the other thing that always comes to my mind is that competitive advantage that I might have from having testosterone in my system five years ago, having male puberty, having all this stuff that's, you know, barely relevant to my life. And then you compare that to, for example, Michael Phelps, who has produces lactic acid at half the rate of his cis male competitors and the difference between 
a trans woman and a cis woman is less than the difference between two cis women that you grabbed at random. And it's frustrating to have this conversation at times. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, I totally agree with the, like, no research and stuff like that, but I think it comes down to a lack of people wanting to know and wanting to understand because anyone who hasn't been in this situation or played against a trans person or with a trans person will have no idea what it's like. So they're just making judgments and assumptions because I feel like when we look at the football field, we see so many different shapes, we see so many different sizes, like no one on the field is the same regardless of their history or their background. So I think it's really unfair to be judged because of your past on the football field. Completely. I completely agree with that. And, you know, from a, I guess from a sociological perspective, you know, bringing it back to a little bit more uh, queer related rather than transgender related, like the intersectionality that exists for women in general is multiplied when you're in the queer community. You know, as women, we know that we don't get the same opportunities as men, as queer women. I think it's kind of fascinating that sport for many of us feels like a safe space. You know, we feel accepted. And I guess a lot of us, you know, this is where we get to explore different parts of our gender alongside straight women who play for similar but very different reasons. And Beck, I, I guess I've got a question for you. Like, I'm not blind to think that cisgender straight women in sport face the same type of criticism that lesbians get. But in a lot of cases, and teams, the gay population is the majority. Like, Beck, have you experienced any sort of like anything around the expectation that if you play a contact sport, you must be a lesbian? Never. Like I said, before playing football, I'd been like I played netball for like 15 or so years and always with straight girls. I played in a mixed team with straight men. So like coming to football, I was honestly, I was a little bit shocked at how many lesbians there were that played in the team, but I was so open to it. And I'm like, my gaydar is terrible, right? So like the first season I played, like there was probably like 80% of my team were gay. And I had no idea because I just, I love it. And I see everyone for who they are. And then when I find out, I'm like, no, they're not, are they? And they're like, yeah, they are. I'm like, I love her. <laughs> like, yeah, my gaydar is terrible, but this is definitely football. Being in football and a contact sport, I've become much more aware of how many lesbians that do play in football and in contact sports because I was so unaware before. And that, like, you know, I think we have to bring up, you know, the whole relationship within a team situation because I feel that this is the issue that a lot of teams run into um, when we're talking about coaching and culture and all this sort of thing. And it's a dynamic that doesn't happen in many spaces. Like how often do you have a team where you've got partners playing on the exact same team? Power dynamics, all that sort of stuff. Like I'm sure you've got, a couple of good examples of this kind of thing or, or how I guess that's kind of come about in your football career? Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting one and I think if I speak from my own experience, um, you know, like there's a certain um, familiar, familiarity of um, having your partner on the team, right? They know your your nuances and, you know, they know a look, they know everything that's happened leading up to the point when you get you know, to training or to game day and how you're feeling and you can debrief with them. But um, I definitely find it's an interesting dynamic and I think you're right. You don't, you don't see that in a lot of other sports. Um, I think it can work, but I also think it can go south really quickly if you don't have really good boundaries in place. So, um, yeah, in- interesting thought. Yeah. So, so it's no football talk in the bedroom. There's no football talk in the shower. 
and um, has to be at least until 7 a.m. before we talk football in the morning after game day. Like that, that's the boundaries that we sit with. Right, and, and I think if I if I think about you know the last national campaign that we had, and um, there was there was boundaries put in around the bedroom is where the football has to stop, right? Because otherwise we would talk it nonstop and we would talk you know plays and stuff like that, and it, it can become all consuming and stuff. But I think there's also something nice about bonding over a shared um, a shared experience, a shared passion, and and somebody that's just as equally as motivated as you are to be in that space and to you know to succeed in that space I think and you know you guys would feel that I'm sure um you know Stacey would feel that too when you guys succeed together that's a really good feeling as well and it's something as a couple you reflect on and they become really valued memories for you guys oh completely you know and I've said it before you know football changed my life and the fact that that's where I met my partner and I have the life that I have today as a result of so you know when we're talking about sport being a safe place from my experience, like that's why I speak so highly of it and that's why I'm so passionate about it, especially doing this podcast, especially talking about pride, especially talking to people like Kim who, you know, have had her fair share of moments on the field where, you know, as a team we've rallied, you know, and, and one of my most proudest games was a game that we played against a team in Sydney and there was some slurs that were a going A little on. bit, a small, small transphobia happened, a tiny yeah. one. It was, it was a little bit of transphobia, but, you know, what, what I felt proud about was as a team, we were like, we will not stand for this. You know, it was, we were just, no, you know, so we beat them on the field, you know, and, and I felt so proud to be part of that. And I know Kim, that felt so like for you, that was one of the happiest moments that I've, I think I've ever seen from you. And that just, it gives me goosebumps just to think about it right now. So I really hope that you understand that, you know, that moment wasn't just massive for you. It was massive for all of us. And that's, that's, I guess the theme of, this podcast is to share these kinds of stories and get this conversation happening. The main thing I remember from that game was as soon as the full-time whistle got blown, I got basically tackled by CJ and then we did this whole dance move. So I was like, I don't know what to do, but she's here. So, okay, this is a thing that's happening now. The film review from that would have been epic though, right? Like, <laughs> All right, guys, you know, this, the conversation, this conversation is so important to so many people, but I kind of wanted to round it out with a couple of points. Firstly, as we've said before, GA policy uh, is that you can play in whatever competition that you identify as. Um, as we do have to say that, you know, from a national perspective, that's the same policy that exists, you know, but IFAF is where, you know, the, the gender discussion is at at the moment and currently their position is that uh, you must identify as what is on your birth certificate. I mean, again. We've, we've come so far in terms of, you know, as a community with transgender rights and, and I guess queer rights around the world, but there are still some sports that still need to fix their policies. And I think that will happen. But in, at the same time, like, it doesn't mean that you can't play for your state and you still have the opportunities available out there, which I think is so important. But going into a little bit about how we support our queer community, I want to know, like, you know, how do we be a good ally? Like, now, what what does being an ally and and how can we do that a little bit better? Well, I think for me, um, I actually think that understanding how um, you know everyone identifies is probably a really good start. You know, using really inclusive language and you know instead of you know go and get her, go and get him. It's you know them and and how do we how do we make our language more inclusive when they even you know when we're in a huddle when a coach is in training that type of thing. Um, you know, I suppose. Raising probably raising 
for the community to understand that we actually are an inclusive sport. You know, we encourage so many people to come, you know, you're welcome, you fit in, shape, size, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we say that a lot in our community, like in our football community, but what does it actually mean? You know, how does, how does the, you know, how does the queer community actually hear from us that they're welcome here as well? So, um, you know, being an ally for me is being open, listening. Um, you know, yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you, you're also going to, um, you know, be corrected and you should be corrected and, and learn from that. And I think that's how we kind of, from my perspective, that's what being an ally, I feel, means. Yeah, 100%. And I agree that like having the conversations, like you said, you might be corrected and it's good to be corrected because then you become more informed. Like talking to the people who you might not necessarily feel comfortable talking to about these issues and about these situations, go and have a conversation with them because it's going to make them feel more more comfortable and more accepted in that environment for sure. And that's what you want. That's what an ally does, right? You make someone feel like they are welcome and they are comfortable and they can be themselves and they can open up and come and join your team because you are going to accept them. Yeah, and I guess does being an ally change uh, for transgender athletes, Kim? Like does do you is there something that we can do as a community to kind of make you feel more comfortable? I don't know, because the one big cultural barrier that I find is I've talked to a lot of other trans friends that have their own idiosyncratic passions. And there's this universal thing that when you're trans, no matter what you're doing, you're always the first to do it because no one else has done it before or because like that, that community just hasn't had to interact with trans people in the past. And then especially when it's related to sport, there's that loaded trans women in sport. It's in the news cycle every two or three weeks and every news article on it has both sides. And you have this impression that if you turn up to training, as a trans person, if you turn up to an open day, an orientation, half the people, give or take, might be some variety of transphobic. And so you just, unless you're really, really passionate about it, you don't go because it's just not, it feels not worth even the risk. And I don't know how exactly we address that, not that part of the problem, so to speak, but that's that's a big thing for getting trans people involved is to communicate to them unambiguously that you will be safe and then making that space safe like um you know inclusivity is is also one of those things that gets banded around and i guess you know it's in the news so much at the moment with everything that's happened with uh you know scott morrison and politics and and all that sort of stuff but at the end of the day football is for everybody and gender doesn't come into the equation because there's female football, there's men's football, but there's just football. It's just football. And I guess like as a sport, there is definitely things that we can do better. You know, there's initiatives that we can look at, you know, there's clubs around the country that are taking initiatives and they're doing good things with them, raising money for mental health um, for the LGBTIQ plus community. And, you know, we've got things like Mardi Gras, we've got pride rounds that can happen. There's, I'm still yet and waiting and would be really excited to see a pride jersey. Like how mad would that be? Like the designs would be sick. But, I mean, what else, what else could we do? I mean, and where to get started? Nat, it's some ideas. Oh, 
I, I just say we all just go to Mardi Gras and just see what happens. Uh, to be honest, let's just all put pride jerseys on. Let's go um, and recruit. You know, like we're you know, you, you, I think we spoke about it a few weeks ago, you know, half the girls in, in our leagues have been poached from nightclubs and, you know, because we've walked up to people because we, we have these personalities that are approachable. And, um, you know, I, I think I think having an open discussion, you know, with the clubs around, hey, this is something we want to be visible to, you know, the, LG, the queer community. Um, how can we do that as a club and how can we do that in a way that people feel safe and, uh, you know, and I think that's where we start. I think it's have a conversation about it because if we don't, no one's talking about it, nothing's going to change and we, we're not, we're, we're missing out on amazing people, you know, trans community, queer community. We, we are missing out on some, some great people um, that would only just, you know, make our clubs even, even better. So I think the first step is have a conversation. Completely agree with that. And, you know, it's been 10 years, obviously, since I've started in the sport. And you now I remember the first conversations, you know, it, it kind of evolved from women don't belong in the sport to, okay, women, you guys can be involved, but we won't let you advertise at fair day or a gay event because then we'll be the gay club and we don't want to be the gay club. And I was like, guys, like, it's not about being the gay club. It's about saying that your club is safe for people like me. Um, you know, and, and those conversations, the, you know, it, it hasn't been easy, you guys, but we've come so far in 10 years. And I guess that's what we want to celebrate today. Um, and this, this whole chat has been so amazing. And for any clubs who wanted to find out more about creating an inclusive space, you guys can check out Pride in Sport. They are the, one of the only organizations in Australia collecting actual data to provide better understanding about what it means to be an ally in sport. You can also check out ACON for any information and their welcome here program about the LGTB. LGBTIQ plus community, so many letters in the alphabet. Um, and I guess, you know, if this conversation has triggered anything from a mental health perspective, please, you guys know that you guys are not alone. And to call Lifeline on 13, 11, 14, they are available 24 seven. And I say that because trans and queer community have one of the highest suicide rates in Australia. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that, that needs to stop. Um, and so it, I'm hoping that this podcast can get through to anybody that we can kind of make things a little bit easier for our, our queer community. So let's move along to our final segment tonight, you guys, which is Rapid Fire. We're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, my boss is singing closing time. Maybe that's what you're doing. Guys, tonight is all about celebrating the queer, rainbow-coloured, glitter-infested community that we love to be a part of. And tonight, it's all about our favourite out athletes. Now, Kim, I'm going to let you kick this one off because you and I actually had the same kind of person. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts and then we will discuss why this person is the GOAT of gay sport. Um, I definitely went with Megan Rapinoe because even though I don't, particularly follow soccer all that closely and I've never seen Megan Rapinoe play a single game of football. The US women's national team won a tournament and then she turned up in press conferences and was very aggressively, unapologetically gay and was seen. So I saw her holding up a trophy saying, I deserve this. And that degree of ego and just not apologizing at all for who you are, I just immediately fell in love with that. Completely agree. You know, Megan Rapinoe sitting there with her purple hair. She's she's just who us elder lesbians look to and go, yeah, 
that's the deal right there. You know, not only did she spark the conversation around women's equal pay for the U.S. soccer team, but she also brought our community into the spotlight through her ambassador work. And she's also a bomb soccer player. If you haven't had a chance to watch, she does to do. Runner up to that, though, I'm actually going to give a shout out to Shani Williams, the Aussie Rugby Sevens player. I've met her a couple of times at Fair Day, and it's great to see the work that she's doing in the Australian space for the queer community. Nat, who have you got? Look, in keeping with a bit of football theme, I'm my uh, vote would go to Sam Kerr. I think, um, you know, absolute machine on on field, and you know, I think, um, yeah, all, just all round, you know, great player. Um, so, yeah, it's probably second to Vigna Rapo, but I think um, for me, I yeah had to go with Aussie. Yeah, and Beck, I know you've got one that is not football related. No, so for me, like you know, I've played netball for 15 or so years and there are not a lot of queer queer community members within the netball community. But one that stands out to me is Ash Brazel. She's a wing defence for the Collingwood Magpies. She's an Australian diamond. But I think for her, you know, being queer wasn't necessarily a welcomed and open thing for her when she first started, started playing netball. But for her to be able to pursue her career, achieve the things that she has achieved regardless of how she was accepted in the community or not, now she has a beautiful wife, a beautiful baby, and she's doing amazing things on and off the court for the community. I think um, they installed a pride round last year for the first time in netball um, SSN, which was awesome to see. And I think it was all initiated by her. So, yeah, she's amazing. That's so good. And and you're right, there's really not many gay netballs out there, is there? I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, again, you know, the ideology, ideology of the gay landscape is, is fascinating at the best of times. But there you have it for tonight's episode, Pride episode. Thank you to our amazing panel for being so open and authentic and also to Kim for coming on the show tonight and sharing her perspective. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. No problems. Happy to do it. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Pleasure. And as always, download this episode, share with friends and family, hit us up on socials with your questions, comments, give us a five-star review on Spotify. And until next week, stay safe, be unapologetically yourself, Enjoy the glitter that you'll find for the next three years after gay Christmas, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.